0: Says, get that India, big boy. Call an ambulance. a what a shot! What a shot! Campbell killer! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Just one sleep left until we have that. Big massive game against the North Queensland Cowboys. Joining me as always on the show is my good mate Sixties. I don't know how you're feeling, big fella, but the uh, nervous is starting to ramp up inside me.
1: Mate, the nerves are kicking in. What a what a week we've had. We've uh, we we can only um, imagine what next week will be like. To um, you know, if we can get through this week, but uh, just a reminder for everyone that. There is a live event being staged at Parramatta Leagues Club tomorrow night. There will be outdoor viewing with plenty of family fun. So they got the face painting, the rides. Um, uh, There's a a dress-up as uh, the best-dressed Eels fan. There's a $100 voucher for that. And also, we will be in our home, in the home of the Eels, which is Jack's Bar and Grill. So we'll be up there with some uh, special guests We'll be doing a pre-game and a post-game uh, panel about the game. Uh, we're starting early. We're on from six thirty, so that we are going to catch all of the broadcast from uh, from the game. Uh, there won't be any if you if you're coming up there. Don't worry. We're not going to talk over the top of any <laughs> any coverage that's there. And um, yeah, any if if something comes up in their pre-game where they're talking to BA or any of the players, that sort of thing, we'll, we'll cross straight to that broadcast then you can watch the game with us up there in jacks you'll see us go through all of our emotions that's for sure of in the game and then we'll break it down at the end uh we'll be obviously we're going to be celebrating we are going to be celebrating mate but um look paralegues is going to be the place to be on uh tomorrow night whether you're uh doing it outdoors Uh, with the family and and of course you can bring your own chairs down into the it's that car park area next to the uh, eels lane that'll be set up similar as it was last week with the food trucks and the the rides and the the face paint and and they'll have big screens up there so you will be able to watch the game out there you can bring chairs down blankets to sit on whatever you want to do um so so be down there we can't get up to north queensland obviously the Airfares were through, absolutely uh, through the roof. Airfares were
0: prohibitively expensive. Accommodation was booked out. Uh, it, it has been some sort of week for both the Cowboys and the Parramatta Eels, I'll tell you that.
1: So we have a chance to all come together as supporters at a live site, so be there. Um, we look forward to seeing you there. I know some people have already indicated to me they're, they're going to be there. They're going to come up and say day up in Jack's Bar and Grill. Uh, whether you're up there with us in Jack's Bar and Grill, whether you're outdoors, uh, watching on the screens outdoors, whatever the case may be, it is the place to be, and um, and you'll be able to enjoy the company of fellow Eels fans going nuts at the game.
0: And of course, it extends beyond that for the Parramatta Eels. It is a historic week for the club with the NRL and NRLW securing a, a very special double event, both playing for a spot in their respective grand finals. We're going to talk about both their both their games, obviously, but for now, 60s. Let's start with uh, some expert insight and uh, introduce our first guest on the show. And it wouldn't be a finals preview podcast without the outstanding analysis of Bernie Gurr. Bernie, thank you for coming on, mate. How are you doing today?
2: I'm oh, good, boys. How are you? Excellent, mate. Excellent.
0: Now, let's uh, get into the preview, Bernie, and look back first to the game against the Canberra Raiders. You were confident of a Parameter Eagles victory over the Green Machine, but it became a blowout score what transpired as you expected and conversely was there anything from that clash that didn't you didn't expect or just surprised you jumping off the tv
2: yeah look obviously like you guys we were you know confident of a victory but you know let's face it i certainly did not expect the blowout the scoreline of 40 to 4 i don't think anyone would have predicted that and i certainly didn't um, the good thing was the eels from the from the very kickoff they attacked the game they went after the game and as they proven over the year uh, they have a bounce-back factor in them now. It's a real a real strong trait of this team. They can bounce back. They haven't lost two games in a row all year, including the playoffs and regular season. Um, look, this game, sometimes stats tell a story, sometimes they don't. This game really told a story. The, the Eels had 59% possession and 77% completion. They're very good numbers. Compared to last week where, against the Panthers, where we had uh, 49% possession, and only 67% completion. And we ran for nearly over a 1,000 more run metres this week. We did 23.96 metres this week versus 13.40 against the Panthers. So, you know, those stats are very, very indicative of a dominating performance. In addition, um, our discipline was good. That includes everything, you know, rock penalties, 10 metres, the six against, the penalties, the errors. Um, we only had 14 and the Raiders had one, so we won that discipline battle. Um, so, you know, look, it was a terrific performance. We we're Straight off the beginning of the game, we were more expansive, off good go forward. And, you know, I have a theory that games take on a personality. Sometimes games develop and they're very open and expansive and entertaining. Other times they're tight and do a game, dour games like the game against Panthers the week before up there at Panther Stadium. That, to me, was a very... looked like teams were playing in a phone booth. It was that type. This game had a much more open, expansive personality. And you know, I have a theory, too, that some grounds are just more conducive. The, the fields are better. They're, they're drier. They're, they're more conducive to expansive plays. And Combank's one of those. So that was... That combined with... I did think the Raiders were a little off mentally. They just... They didn't seem to have that little edge, and all great performances in sports have – the teams or the individuals have a little edge. The Eels did a good job on Tarpany and papalee but, of course, the best way to control, you know, power players like Tarpany and Papali from the Raiders is to dominate possession. When you have 50% of the ball, they're only going to have 41, and that's how you control them. So they didn't have enough ball to get their game on, and therefore they didn't really challenge the Eels in any big way, but – in summary, it was a terrific performance by the Eels, and you know all the statistics support that. And and just on that Bernie, you, you said right from
1: the start, uh, absolutely Eels, absolutely going for the match. Is that that difference between uh, an attitude of um, trying uh, going for the win as opposed to trying not to lose? Yeah, and I don't
2: think players think of. I know I know a lot of people think that way, but. I, I I don't think players do. I think players they think they're they their thinking is I wanna be aggressive right from the start. I wanna be aggressive without the ball on our defense. I wanna be a I wanna get our game on in, in offense, attack. And they did that right from the get go. You could tell look, you know, I don't know, sometimes the Eels are a very transparent team. You can tell in the first ten minutes whether they're on or oh, not yeah. <laughs> with they're not, a, they're not a team that hides their uh, mentality very well. You can tell whether they're on or not. And they, were, they were definitely on. I did sniff the Raiders were just a little off. So, look, I really liked how they attacked the game, the Eels. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really strong performance. So we've just talked
1: about the uh, Parramatta performance as a team. From an individual performance perspective, uh, which Eels players pleased you the most?
2: Well really, you couldn't fault any of them really, but I know, and I know you know most of the publicity after the game's been around Dylan Brown and Dylan had a sensational game, arguably the best game across the 80 minutes that he's had in my time watching him. and i I was at the club when we, we when he was brought into first grade. Um, look his runs, not just the quantity of his runs, but the quality, his involvements and touches. I like the fact that he was playing both sides of the field with Mitch, Moses. I love when the six and seven play together on on long mm-hmm. side shifts. Um, and he just had a he 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 just had you know an innate confidence about him the other night. You just look some players you look at and you, you see it sometimes in the great players. They just have this innate confidence. And Dylan certainly had that. But look, he wasn't the only one. It was cause it's always built off the back of a dominant forward pack. And I thought our forwards, every one of our forwards was terrific. And um, the player that hasn't really got a lot of publicity that I thought was absolutely phenomenal was Reed Marney. Um. I thought Reid had a sensational game. His service, when we play well, we're very clean. Our service and our execution is very clean around the play of the ball. In other words, Reid's looking very relaxed. He gets to dummy half. He surveys the field. He then spirals the ball one way or the other, depending on which way they want to go. And it's a very tidy execution. And that's that's where your offense starts. In addition to that, he made 38 tackles and only missed three. That was well ahead of anybody else. The other player I'd like to recognise is Will Panasini. He made twenty-three tackles. Um, the other four of your back five collectively made fourteen. So Will yeah. made twenty-three, and the other four players—Gutherson, Sevo, Wonga, Blake, and Opacic—made fourteen in total. So, for whatever reason, the traffic was coming Will's way, but he he handled it very well. Of course, Gutho's involvement was was terrific. I thought he he was back to where he needs to be, and. You know, my point with the yields is, for all the rest of it, Mitch Moses is clearly our most important player. Um, he's the he's the voice of reason in the room out there on the field. He's the orchestrator. And on the back of that, he's also our kicker. And you guys know the theory on kicking. You can't yeah. win without a kicking game, game. And Mitchell Moses' kicking was terrific. His control was terrific. Um, his, his, his election of when to run and not run was great. So, look. It's hard to single them out, but there's just a couple that I, I wanted to highlight. The other thing I did want to say about it was, you know, it's just nice getting past week two to get that monkey off the back for the club and Brad. Um, and, you know, the, to me, it's not something I think internally that worries the, the Eels too much. And I certainly think it's worried the players. The players are just looking to win their next game. But also you need to put a bit of perspective around that week two uh, issue because in 17... The Eels were beaten by the Storm in Week Two. They went on to win the uh, to win the Premiership in '19. The Storm beat them again, and they made the Grand Final in 2020. South beat the Eels, and they made South made the Grand Final. And in '21, Panthers beat the Eels, and they were the Premier. So, in those four years that everybody's been talking about, where we can't get past Week Two, we've been beaten by uh, two Premiers and two Grand Final teams. So, you, again, the media doesn't always give context and perspective around an issue that they're addressing.
0: Now, theories about finals and form and finals vary from person to person, from expert to expert. But from a team perspective, Bernie, is a match like the one that we had against the Raiders a good preparation for a preliminary final heading into that grand final qualifier and even the grand final beyond that?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Anytime you can come up with a terrific performance and all your players play well and from a coaching perspective, Brad can say, the plan that we had all week, you guys executed it nearly perfectly. Um, that's a tremendous confidence booster. Confidence, belief, momentum—they're the things that drive the elite teams, particularly at this time of year. And to get our game on the way the Eels want to play the game, the way Brad coaches them to play the game, to get that game on in a big game um, was very, very good for their confidence and belief. So yeah, I think it's a—you know—it's a perfect entree to this week's game.
1: And uh, prior to uh, last week, and now even even into this week, the media's launched into a series of negative narratives, um, whether it be about the Junior Pathways report, a playing group supposedly divided over Nathan Brown, and whether BA would keep his job if the team bowed out in week two. Uh, what did you think of how BA uh, handled the resp- his response to the media focus?
2: Yeah, I liked it. I think it was excellent. If if I was still involved with the club, I'd have been talking to him about how to address it, obviously, and I think um, he addressed it very well. Uh, He didn't hide. He came out and spoke about it. He answered the question. Sometimes um, some people in public life, they duck away and don't want to even address it. He did not do that. So he came out and addressed it, number one. Number two is authentic. He told it like it is. He said, look, here's how it is. You know, certain players get in, certain players don't get in. He said that was a junior league report, not a, not, a, not related to the NRL team. He kept his focus on the team and the, the preparation for the following game. So I think he handled it very well. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to, to just remember, this was an Elite Pathways report by Nathan Brown, the former uh, Newcastle Warriors coach, who came in to look at the Elite Pathways structures and systems. It was not an NRL report. It had nothing to do with the NRL program. People are trying to link it and say, well... It, pathways flow into the NRL but but the NRL was not a part of this report Uh, it was stressed by certain journalists but not all and look I can I I know from being around the game and sport for a long long time every junior league every kid's sports league they all have claims of favor nepotism and there's always going to be a part of junior league sport you know the media tried hard to link it to the NRL team They were just desperate to link it to the NRL team to try and give it some legitimacy. But within the club, and again, I'm not close to it anymore, but my gut feel would be that let's just address it. Let's talk about it. Let's stress that it was a junior league report. BA did that. Um, And look, the reality too is if the NRL group was substantially splintered or fractured, you can't perform at this Mm -hmm. level in NRL and win playoff games the way we have if you've got a splintered group. You're always going to... look. I've been at the Roosters, I've been at the Eels. You're always going to get some players that aren't happy. Usually that means you've got good depth because you've got certain players that think I'm a first grader, I should be in the top 17 or 18 players every week. You actually want that. Now, I know Nathan Brown, he's a terrific fella. He would not be doing anything to to, to jeopardise the Eels' performance or preparation. I've seen, you know... Shots of them at training and Nathan's there and I've seen shots of them in the locker room after the games and Nathan's in there. So, look, he's a terrific guy. He's always been a team first individual. Does he want to play in the team? Of course he does. That's understandable. Is is he upset personally he's not in it? Sure, but that's not – that doesn't mean it's going to derail the team or anything. That's just an ambitious player and they're they're the sort of players you want in your team. So, you know, it wasn't – and that one game last week, while I think of it, you know, that wasn't going to decide Brad's future. Um, that was absurd that one game was going to decide his future. That wasn't going to happen. He had the team well-prepared. They were well-coached last week. And look, at a macro level, you know, the club's very stable. You know, from the board, the management, financially the club's very stable at the moment. Um, The football program's very stable. Um, And, you know, when you compare it to to what the club looked like in 2016 and prior and the 10 years prior to that, the club's in a very, very good position at the moment, and Parramatta fans should be happy, happy that finally there's some stability and competence and competitiveness uh, for the Parramatta Reels.
0: We actually dove into this with Spiro yesterday, and I think Andy Ramon actually came out on Instagram for a very timely post, too, talking about the matter at hand. But you personally, on this podcast and outside, have always stated that Parramatta moves the needle, they move the dial. So I guess it wouldn't have come any surprise that a narrative of some description was found because, like we said yesterday, 60s, this is less of an attack on the media but more a commentary in society. Negativity sells.
2: Yeah, look, exactly. I've always maintained that Parramatta moves the needle. Parramatta's a big, powerful club within the NRL. It's a very important club to the NRL. Um, Along with Penrith and Canterbury, those three power clubs drive the interest in rugby league in Western Sydney. The media are all over Parramatta. We have the largest membership of the Sydney-based clubs. We're also very popular regionally. You guys know it. Wherever Parramatta goes, even outside of Western Sydney, Parramatta's huge. I know people have been all around the country and there's so many Parramatta fans. So what's that mean? It means the expectations around the club are very high. The external pressures and expectations build, particularly after you know, not winning a premiership for 36 years, not getting past week two of the playoffs in the last six years. But when you look at it, the win loss record over the last six years, outside of 18 when we had a, had to have a reset year, has been very good. In the last four years, the club's been consistently competitive, and it's hard to get. It's hard to get to, to premiership success, but the Eels have rebuilt themselves internally. Um, with board management. They're financially well-positioned. The football program's in good shape. But Parramatta will always move the needle. They're interesting. And, of course, you know, we have so many people out there that are interested that uh, the Daily Telegraph and Fox Sports and Channel 9, they love reporting on the Eels. Now, uh,
1: you've touched on this before uh, uh, when we were first speaking today. Will it make a huge difference to the psyche of the team now that they are in a preliminary
2: final? I think they're excited. I think the team itself is excited. They're, they're one game from a grand final, and a lot of very good players never even make a grand final, let alone win the premiership. So I think they're going to be excited. I spoke earlier about the confidence and belief in the squad. And there's 12 other clubs that love to be where, where these four teams are this weekend. So I think the players... This is a now mature group. This group's, most of this group's been together since the start of 2019 and some even earlier than that. Mitch Moses, we got him over in 2017, but, you know, Gutherson and, um, and, the, and Mitchell and, the, and, and Lane and Campbell Gillard and Paulo, Reed Marnie, Dylan Brown, they've all been together now for a number of years and they've built to a position now where they understand innately that this is a very unique opportunity to go to a grand final. So I think, you know, I think they're very measured in their approach, but at the same time, they're excited. And I think, think Brad, from what I hear uh, around the traps and what I hear in the media, they're treating it very seriously. They're leaving no stone unturned with how they prepare. That's the way you should do it professionally. But it's underlined by, I think, the very fact the players are going to be very excited to get up there and play.
0: So speaking of playing and tomorrow night, the warmer match conditions are obviously the first hurdle when it comes to taking on the North Queensland Cowboys in Townsville. BA himself has said that the club is expecting uh, sort of weather in the vicinity of 24, 25 degrees, and I think they said 70 to 80% humidity, uh, which you know is far from uh, super challenging conditions when we, we expect the tropics. But he also made the point that those conditions at night are probably better than a dewy Combank surface in winter. Uh, what was your take on that, Court? Do you reckon it's fair?
2: Yeah, I do. Look, I think the whole weather thing's a beat up. I don't, I don't think it's important. I don't think the players think it's important. Um, I think I heard one of the players say, "Look, we'll just you know throw the jersey on and we're going to go out and play."
0: That's the know, attitude, but, isn't it? Yeah, that's what that, you want.
2: Or I think it's a you know it's an it's a point of interest. I don't think it has a high level of, of importance as a point of interest. In my look, just looking at it, I think. Queensland Country Bank Stadium, it looks always to me when I watch games televised from up there and I've not been to the venue, but when I watch there, it looks like a dry, fast track. It looks very conducive to open, expansive football. And I think is used to that because, you know, the, the, the Sunday afternoons that they've played at uh, Combank, that's the exact type of surface and environment that they play in there. So, look, I think if it's a dry, fast track conducive to open footy, I think both teams will enjoy that. <laughs> Bernie, yesterday when we were
1: talking to um, Spiro Christopoulos, who uh, is with us on the news episode of the Tip Sheet, he was relating a a story that Piggy Riddell said to him about the 2005 preliminary final when uh, the Eels lost to the Cowboys. And he said the night before some of the boys were together watching the uh, preliminary final between the Tigers and St George and uh, all... All through the season, the uh, pundits were tipping uh, an Eels and, and Dragons grand final. And, of course, the Tigers won. And he said the reaction from a, a lot of them uh, there, I suppose himself included, was, we got this now. You know, like, we'll be playing the Tigers. They weren't. They lost focus on uh, playing the Cowboys. Uh, uh, and I'm just wondering then, is there an advantage in playing the very first of the preliminary finals and not knowing who's advanced to the grand final, or, or does it not matter? Oh,
2: look, if you're a mature football team, I don't think it matters. Like, for example, I don't think when the Storm and Roosters are played in a lot of these games that they really care that much. They're that dialed in, they're that emotionally strong, they're that experienced that doesn't bother them. Now, here you've got two teams that haven't been in this position for a while, although that... I guess you could say that uh, the Cowboys were in seven, but it's a totally different team now. You know, it may give them something to think about. I don't think if you're mentally strong as a, as a football team, as, as a as a sport as a professional sportsman, I don't think it's a huge issue. I do, look, the whole issue of um, the good thing here is the Eagles have a seven-day turnaround from last week. That's a good thing. And then if they win this game, they have a nine-day turnaround to the grand final. And they're flying back directly after the game, so they get a full nine days back here to prepare <laughs> for the grand But I don't think they're even thinking internally within the team. Now, the club has to think about what things will need to be done in grand final week if they make it. And that's a logistical exercise that we've been through before, and I've been thrilled at the Roosters. You need to be thinking about what's logistically we need to do. But the football team does not need to worry about that. They just need to worry about this week and making sure they get there. So... Um, You know, I don't think – I think we've got a mature footy team. I think Brad is a smart coach. And I think, you know, they're not thinking ahead about the opponent or anything at this stage.
0: And continuing with the themes of psychology and logistics, the Cowboys obviously had the week off coming into this grand final qualifier on Friday night. Do you subscribe to the theory that rust equals rest – sorry, rest equals rust, rather, get it on the other way – or that it was advantageous when they had the break? Because I know that the numbers or the statistics tend to point to the week off being – an advantage in the finals, at least in the NRL.
2: Yeah, and the one one reason that the week off is an advantage is because the teams that get the week off are the best teams. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, these things become self-fulfilling prophecies. If you're the best team, you usually get the week off, and if you're the best team, you usually win again when you come back and play. So there's, you know, there's that piece of it. I'm always a fan of the week off. Um, and it's even more relevant, I think, in the modern game where you've got 24 brutal games of rugby league, You've got your very best players who are usually in the playoffs because they're usually in the very best teams that make the playoffs. They've played origin. Um, Even this year, like with the Cowboys getting a week off, I think it's a real advantage to them. It lets players that get over niggling injuries, they can do a reset. They're playing at home. There's no travel for the Cowboys this week. They've had a number of young players like Nenai and Dearden, uh, Tuolonghi. These guys have uh, played origin. Um, Cotter. Played Origin for the first time, adding to the to the workload for the year. To me, the week offs are godsend for Todd Payton and his team, and will actually help their preparation. And even if you're a Sydney team like the Panthers, getting a week off for the Panthers to reset themselves, and they're a very experienced, mentally tough football team, I think it's an ideal preparation for the Panthers. So, in the playoffs, I'm always a fan of the week off, and. It's a challenge now for our Reels to combat a Cowboys team that I think would have absolutely appreciated a week off. Now, now let's dive even deeper into the
1: Cowboys. Uh, They've been a very good defensive side this season. In the first 14 rounds, they conceded less than 12 points per game. However, in the final 10 rounds of the season, that blew out to around 19 points per game. And then in the first week of the finals, they conceded 30 points against the Sharks. Can we read anything into that, Bernie?
2: No, I don't think you can. I think it depends on many, many factors. Early in the season, teams are typically working themselves out. Teams that have worked themselves out a little earlier, like the Cowboys clearly did, they had a huge focus on defence in their pre-season. That's been well documented in the media many times this year where Peyton absolutely flogged them for their fitness, worked very hard on their defensive structures and systems in the off-season. So no surprise there. And other teams are working themselves out early in the year. The other thing too, it depends on who you play, the quality of opposition in these different sets of games, these first 14 rounds versus the next 10 rounds. depends on quality of opposition. It depends on the personnel missing and injuries of both teams. It depends whether you're playing at home or away. And so I don't read much into that at all. The, Payton has emphasised defence from the pre-season. And the reality is they came down to Sydney and won a semi-final against the second-place team, the Sharks, on the road coming from behind to force extra time. So I think you've got a pretty mentally resilient football team here in the Cowboys, and therefore I don't read much into, into those stats at all.
0: So looking at the Cowboys' success this year, Bernie, it's fair to say they're the upstart surprise you know, packet of the season, and that was done collectively through a bunch of young stars, breakout players, and vested veterans rediscovering their best, the guys like Tom Lolo and Valentine Holmes. When you look at that collective package – what threats do the Cowboys pose to the Eels, whether it's individually or collectively as a team?
2: Yeah, good good question. Because I think they're a very strong all-round side. Their forwards are big. They're mobile. They're tough. Um, their backs have strike power in them. Uh, drink water. Valentine Holmes, I could make a case he's the best left centre in football. I mm-hmm. think he is. They're just a very well-coached side. I, I enjoy watching them play. Um, they... They they have very good formations and attack. You'll notice many times they play what I what we used to call two third patterns, where you go two thirds across the field and then you come back on a, on a long side shift. And they play their six and seven together, where uh, you've got Townsend and Dearden playing together. And again, as you know, I love the sixes and sevens playing together. They're big and athletic on the edges with Nenai, Lua and Gilbert. Um, in addition, they have Holmes, who I just said is you know I think the best left center in the game. And then out the back you've got Drinkwater, who has to re- Drinkwater's a footballer. He's just got innate, lovely football skills, good football IQ. He's got an error in him occasionally, but that's because he usually tries a lot of things. So he's he's a real danger. And when they run their shapes and formations, they have good decoys. Um, they look a very well-catched football team to me, and they actually love the wide-open spaces of, of Queensland Country Bank Stadium. So, look, they're a very, very potent team. Out of market, you've got Robson, who I think has come on – He's nearly state of origin standard. Yeah, hooker. I agree. And with Drinkwater and Dearden, you've got pure footballers in the spine positions as well. Um, Dearden on that left side with his show and go. We we can't take any dummies. He's he's got a terrific show and go, Tommy Dearden. Um, so we can't take any dummies from him. Um, Homes is, is great. And through the middle, they're just really strong now. They've got Jordan McLean, who's a big body. Reuben Cotter had something different. He's a smaller man, but he's got very good foot speed. He can get over the line very quickly. And Tamalalo, is just very unique. He's he's always had the power and the step, but he's introduced this year two things. A passing game, and he's also got himself involved in attacking sets uh, down in the red zone, where even in, in the final play of the game against the Sharks, he came off a second-man play and scored the try to try to level the game up and send the game into extra time. So Tamalalo's... That was the best game I've ever seen him play. I've always thought he's been a bit lazy, quite frankly. Um, He's got that out of his game, and that was well documented. He had a little issue, apparently, with the head coach who was getting him to try and realise his full potential. Um, And Peyton's done a magnificent job. Tom has always been elite. Now he is, arguably, you can make a case, he's potentially the best middle forward in the game as a 13, as a power 13, not a ball-playing 13 like like an Isaiah. Yeah, that, that is
0: an important distinction these days, isn't it?
2: It's uh, he, he's very very destructive, very strong. They Have a very good bench. Uh, you know, I think Le Lewis on the bench this week. He's, Correct. He's he's you know Peyton's put a bit of discipline into him. Uh, the Hammer, uh, Cohen Hess, uh, Nemes on the bench, and of course it's all anchored by Townsend. He's the brains of the outfit. He's been really solid. He doesn't have a strong kicking game. Like his, his kicking game is nowhere near as strong or accurate, I believe, as Mitchell Moses. It's, I think there's a point of difference between Mitchell's kicking game and Townsend's. But, of course, if Townsend's playing off the front foot and he's doing all his kicking from an attacking half, he doesn't have to have a real long kicking game. So, you know, it's going to be a really interesting, um, particularly, you know, the Cowboys' right side with Townsend, Nenai, and Hickey up against the Eels' left side of Lane, Brown, and Gutherson. That's going to be a really, inter- interesting, um, really interesting challenge for the Cowboys because I think the Eels have a real advantage there. If, if our left side can attack their right side, I think there's an advantage. Well, that is a perfect
1: lead-in because can we expect anything different from how Parra will play this game? Or, or do you reckon, again, it's uh,
2: going to be our usual blueprint for success? Yeah, look, there's team's dangerous. Their style, they've, they've given out all their secrets to everybody else by this stage of the year. There's no secrets in rugby league at this stage of the year. You, you might come up with the odd move, a uh, little trick shot around to play the ball, but as a rule, how they play the bulk of the game, there's no secrets now. Everybody knows Parra's blueprint. Stopping it, as the Raiders found, is very difficult. The kicking field position is important when you play on the road, particularly in a hostile environment like this week, where potentially 95% of the crowd will be Cowboys fans. Taking the crowd out of the game, and the crowd is a—it's like the 14th man, the crowd up there this week. It will be a huge advantage. You want to take them out of the game. So when you're on the road in these hostile environments, you've got to start well. That takes them out of the game immediately. If they, if the Cowboys score and are up 16 in the first five minutes, the crowd's going to be going off. It will literally be the 14th man for the Cowboys. So we have to start well, be aggressive, legally aggressive, of course, and our kicking game needs to be strong. Um, thing around the eels for this week is who plays at left center if Opacek is out, which I understand he may be out. I don't know. Um, I personally like our best players on the field, um, for these big games. I would start Nia N- Marada at uh, left center to replace Opacek if Tom's out. It'd be very unfortunate because he's been playing very well. And what I would do tactically, I would in our own half where we're coming out of trouble, I would let Murada play as a a running 13 like he has been for the last five or six weeks and been very, very effective, and let Madison float around out at left centre coming out of trouble. And then when we get into good ball sets in in the other side of the field, I move Murata back to the left edge as a left centre and move Maddo back to 13 and let him do a bit of his ball playing and offloading. Um, And I think that'd be a very good balance. That way you don't lose... The real effectiveness of Murata in the last six weeks is coming out of trouble has been his power running.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Gemma.
2: No matter what number he has on his jerseys, and Madison and Murata are very flexible. I would simply let Murata play as a thirteen in our half, and as a left centre in the other, in the good ball half, and that's how I would do it.
0: It's an interesting compromise scenario there, one that I don't think is uh, certainly a bad idea. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Parramatta approach that if uh, Tom is out. But and you big-
2: know, I'm a big big fan of keeping things simple, and I don't like. Trick shots for the sake of trick shot, but I don't view that as a trick shot. I view that as just where they're no. standing on the field in various parts of the field, and I, I think it could be very effective for the Eels.
0: Yeah, if if Murata were to play centre, I think that is the best like, configuration or setup for it. Like you said, he plays yeah, against the middle coming out of the half and then gets downhill out wide in the that's, half. I
2: haven't been mentioned, but that, that's how I would do it. The other thing I think we need to do is we need to, um, when we kick or bomb, I would be going straight at drink water. He's not a big body. Uh, he's a terrific player. I really admire him as a player, and he's very courageous. Um, but he's not great out of trouble because he is—he's not a big man. I would be bombing. I would be bombing bombing him. Two and felt. Uh, they're bigger bodies, um, but I would be bombing. Drink
0: water. No, I like that. It's similar. It's, I mean, it's similar but different to the philosophy you, you employed employed against Latrell or ask the Eels to employ against Latrell where you're piling up extra work rates on one of their core playmakers You know, when it comes to the kick yeah. returns. And then that, that, that does add up.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: All right, Bernie, we've gone through the strategy, we've gone through the matchups. we've gone through the teams. How does this one unfold? Who emerges victorious on, at the end of Friday night? Are the Parramatta Eels booking their ticket to the grand final?
2: I think they are. I do. I believe the Eels will win. Um, this is a monumental challenge for the Eels. Going up there, hostile environment, well-rested Cowboys, well-coached Cowboys, Um, they're very strong. They've got a very well-balanced football team. Having said all that, I think we're a well-coached team. We know what works for us. I think the team, and I like the attitude this week, some of the, I like the attitude of, of, you know, this is a, This is going to be an excited football team that goes up there. They're excited to play. But at the same time, they realise there's a job to be done. We have to execute. We have to do all the things well that are part of the Parramatta blueprint tactically. I think they're going to be mentally up for this game. I think Mitchell Moses kicking will be potentially a point of difference. There's going to be stages of this game where we're on the back foot. And that's where your long-kicking game comes in. So if Mitchell's kicking from the 30-yard line, for example, 30-meter line, for example, on the fifth tackle, I think his long-kicking is critical. But I just think the Eels, if we can, if the Eels can get over, you know, 48, around 48, 50% of the ball at least, they're going to need that. I don't think any team can, can win up there with 40% possession. It's just too hard. But I think if we can get around that 50% plus possession and we execute the way I think we can and get our game on, I think the Eels can win it. Now, um we're we're obviously on board
1: with that, Bernie. And there is also another match that's uh, critical. Oh, and That's it? the uh, oh, Dowson Penrith clash. Um, how do you see that one going?
2: Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating game. And and you know we've talked about this before. There's there's fine lines in a lot of these games, and, and little things happen in games. Or, and even before the game in preparation or certain players being out injured, they're, they're little things that add up and make a big difference. I personally think Burgess and Haveli are huge outs for South. Mm-hmm. Does Penrith play such a power game, such an intensity game, when you're losing two of your, your big men like Burgess? And Haveli's been a bit of an unsung hero for them this year. He He's actually been the Brandon Smith of South this year. He's been able to play where he needs to but he's played a lot as a running 13 and he's got that good foot speed he's got that big bulky body he's been a bit Brandon Smith-like for South so Burgess and Avila are huge outs for South in trying to match the Panthers' power intensity in the middle of the field the other thing is um, Arrow and Alex Johnston are wounded They're, those things are critical the good thing for South is their slide defence has improved I think Campbell Graham coming back in the last couple of weeks has been a massive in for South's Huge fan of him out there on the right at right centre for South, and they'll need him to combat, combat the uh, very potent left edge offence of Penrith. I think South are going to need 55% of the ball to win this. I can't see them winning with anything less than 55%, um, and they'll need 75 to 80% completions within that 50- 55% possession. If, if the Panthers get 55%, I don't think South can win. Latrell's a huge factor in this game, but Luttrell last week I thought had a very quiet game. Now his presence is invaluable for South because he is a you know he's a monumental presence in any football team. But he has to run the ball more, he has to get involved more. They'll need him to do that along with their possession. I think there's one intriguing battle. It's the battle of the Mr. land of the giants out there on South's right edge with uh, Colomatangi up against uh, Kikau. You've got two of the biggest. Uh, edge forwards in the game going against each other, literally, out on that side of the field. I think that'll have a, an impact on the game. But look, I think Pembroke are going to win the game because I just think with their intensity, their maturity, their experience, their Nathan Cleary with his you know elite kicking game, I just think they'll be a little too strong for South. We're going to miss a couple of those players like Burgess and Avele.
0: And before you sign off, Bernie, we just want to get your final thoughts on what has probably been the most polarising point of discussion when it comes to the Parramatta Eels, through both fans and the media. Now that the Eels are into the grand final qualifier, have they had a successful season? Or is there only ever one truly successful team in a competition where only one team can prevail and hold that premiership at the you know first week of October?
2: Yeah, I've never bought into the theory the only successful team is the team that wins the comp. They're the premiers. They are the ultimately the most successful team. But, I mean, it depends on expectations. And I, and I don't mean unrealistic or hopeful expectations. I mean realistic expectations when you look at football teams and you look at the, the roster, the stage of development of the roster. For example, the Cowboys were 15th last year. They went to third and they've now made the top four with an opportunity to go to the grand final, potentially win a comp. If they, if, even if they lose to the Eels this week, which we're hoping for, of course they've had a successful season because – building football clubs is an evolution you can't expect to go from 15th or 16th to first now they could potentially do it which would be a monumental very very unique situation the Sharks they finished second in the regular season would I say they've had a successful season of course so most clubs build to ultimate success they evolve and that's what's been happening at the Eels now again if you look at the realistic expectations Um, like of the Panthers and South Sydney, they're different to the Cowboys and Sharks in evaluating whether they've been so-called successful. If the Panthers don't win the Cup, nobody internally or externally going to say they've been successful because there's a a very real expectation they should win the Cup. South Sydney have been to five prelim finals. That's a monumental achievement of, of consistent excellence. They've already got a pass mark in my book for where they are today, particularly when they've lost their coach in Bennett, their captain in Reynolds, And Gagai, a state of origin player, do I give them a pass mark today? Yes, I do. Internally, though, I know they won't feel they're successful unless they make the grand final and potentially win it. For the Eels, making a prelim final after all this time and the hype and the expectations, both externally and internally, they've they've got a pass mark today. Um, But you've got to remember, too. The Eels are not a team full of origin stars. The Eels are the definition of team. They are a real team. They're well coached. And when they play, they know the style of play. They they have to execute for success. But I noticed one of the media guys said, look, they're not full of origin stars, and they're not, but they're full of very, very good players. Um, I would say if the Eels make the grand final, it's been successful. And, of course, once you make the grand final, the grand Final is a one-off game. And sometimes the best team of the year doesn't always win the grand final. But... Parramatta gets a pass mark at this stage and I'd say that, you know, how they perform this week and whether they go through to the next week would determine whether you want to give them that so-called successful tag for for season 2022.
0: That was a nice bit of insight to sign off on, Bernie. Uh, Hopefully, I mean, we're going to be talking to you one way or the other, whether it's a preview or a post-mortem next week, but hopefully it's the former, and not the latter. Eels have at least eight minutes of football left in them and like we've been saying, 60s, just got to leave all out in the field now, whether it's 80 or 90 minutes this week. Leave it all out there. Don't have any questions, you know, haunting you. And then, yeah, and then after that, who knows?
2: Yeah, these games now, this game this week, you know, it's it's in many ways, it's, it's a more, you know, I've, I've found over my time in the game, this is the more pressure-packed game. This is the most pressure-packed game of the year because you, you, you have hey. a route of going to the... Once you get to the grand final, in a sense... You take a deep breath and say, we've made it. We can now reset ourselves mentally for one gigantic push in the grand final. But actually getting there, it's its a monumental achievement in a very, very tough competition. It's like getting to the Super Bowl. It's like getting to the World Series. Teams are so relieved to make it, and then they can reset for that one final shot at, at final glory. But this is a real pressure-packed game for everybody involved in the club, particularly, obviously, the coaches and the players. But... I think is going to be excited to go up there, and I think they'll play well, and hopefully they'll win.
0: Well, Bernie, thank you for coming on and sharing your insight, as always. It's an absolute blast to talk Parramatta with you. We'll uh, touch base next week one way or the other, but until then, mate, you stay safe, and we'll catch you on the other side. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Thanks, Bernie. All right, 60s, let's me and you talk some turkey. We've got two games to preview. Let's start with the NRLW. This one kicks off 3.50 p.m. on Sunday, the 25th of September 4v1, the Premier ah. taking on the runaway premiership favourites in the Sydney Roosters. This game is up at Suncorp Stadium, televised on Channel 9 and Foxtel. It doesn't say KO, but uh, I don't know if it's because it's clashing with something else, uh, but, sh- sh- yeah, maybe on KO too. Uh, these two teams met in round one where the Eels actually held their own for a good sort of 50%, 60% of the game before the Roosters ran away for it, and that was with the Eels making a whole lot of turnovers, missing a whole stack of tackles. Looking at this Roosters team, 60s, you got uh, Sam Bremner at fullback. On the wings, Land, Tufua and Jamie Fressard. In the centers, outstanding pairing, probably the best in competition, Jessica Surgis and Captain Isabel Kelly. In the halves, it's Zahara Tamara and Racy McGregor. Front row, and this is another strength for the tricolours here Sarah Togatuki, Maya Hilmawana, both outstanding bookends. Destiny Brill is in number nine. In the back row, you've got Shania Power, Olivia Koenig, and lock forward Keeley Joseph, who also was outstanding against the Eels in that game, going back just over a month. On the bench, we've got uh, Jocelyn Kelleher, Shorten Burton, uh, Pani Hopawadi, and Otessa Pule. Extend the roster, uh, Jolie Morris, Samantha Economis, Jasmine Strange, Shante Tamara, Jada Taylor. For the Eels now, I believe it's an unchanged lineup from the team that took down the Brisbane Broncos and critically secured that Breakthrough win to book their spot in the finals. Fullback, Gail Broughton. On the wings, Zali Faye and Cassie Toyahiku. Very young pairing there, but they've been doing their job superbly. Uh, One of the co-captains named here, Tiana Penetani, we'll talk about whether she's going to be playing or not shortly, but she'll partner Rakia Horn in the centres. Ashley Quinlan, she had her best game of the season last week. She's at 5'8", partnering Taylor Preston at halfback. Front row, Philomena Henese, named to start, but she came off the bench last week, so there could be a little bit of a tweak there to kick off. Currently, she is partnering Ellie Johnson, who scored a try on the weekend... ...with Sally Malangi at dummy half, although Brooke Anderson did start last week... ...so keep an eye on that. In the back row, it is unchanged. Christian Pio, Vanessa Foliaki and Smima Taufa... Uh, ...Taufa, who posted an NRLW record, 307 metres last week. 60s, absolutely insane stuff. On the bench, Kennedy Charrington. She scored the try that sealed Parramatta's spot in the finals she should be joined by Brooke Anderson, Nevada George, Rima Butler, Extended Roster, Abby Church, Ruby Jean Kennard, Ruben Charrington, Tess Staines, and Brooke Morgan Walker. That was a big mouthful there, mate. But this is a game where the Eels undoubtedly come in as outsiders. The Roosters did account for them earlier this season. The Roosters would go on to be undefeated in the regular season, looking the best team in the competition by some margin. But, but, what we saw the Eels last week, the very best of them, they can harness that, they can channel that. And clean up on the mistakes, they will give this give the roosters an almighty shake.
1: Yeah, let's look back on that first encounter with the roosters, which was in the opening round. If we're honest, the roosters shredded us on the edges, absolutely shredded us on the edges. And 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 look, the the class centres that the roosters have got it that should be uh, around there that they're. They're getting a bit of an edge. However, since then, I think it's fair to say that the Eels have really tidied up their defensive structures, and uh, we've seen probably a a number of weeks of uh, after that first round a number number of weeks where the Eels were most unlucky in games, and then finally that last round where things came together a lot better, and they finished strongly over the top of a Broncos team that were playing. Well, you know, pride was really on the line for the Broncos last week, wasn't it? They they've been at the top of the NRLW for years. Yep. Uh, this is the first time that they haven't featured in, in a finals encounter, whether it be the straight-out grand final that existed in the previous years, where they uh, where they emerged victorious, or last year where they were in the semi or the the I mean, when I say last year, the competition that was held at the yes, beginning correct. of this year. Where they were knocked out in the semi-finals, but they still again qualified for finals football, and they are such a strong team, and have such a a strong history in the in the short iteration of of the NRLW so far. They they were the outstanding team there, and yeah, um, it, it was a big win to get over them, especially when it meant so much to them. Yeah, so look, I'm I'm looking forward to the Eels carrying that momentum into this week. I think they'll I think they'll rate their chances against the Roosters because in that game against the Roosters, that first round, even though the Roosters shredded us on the edges, the game really flowed with uh, possession and runs of possession, mm-hmm. and the Eels also made a number of errors. The Roosters got runs of possession um, scoring when they were scoring tries. They they scored them in batches in that game. But likewise, I think up until um, partway into the second half, the Eels were, I think from memory, like two points behind. I think it was the score might have been something like 18 16 or or thereabouts. And it, it, it really looked like it was going to be a a, a closer encounter than it ended up. They, the Roosters again got another batch of tries and 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 broke away from uh, the Eels on the scoreboard. But you know, in the in the minutes that were um, the more competitive minutes, that had to the Eels had to take some confidence from that.
0: Agreed. Now, looking to this game, sixties. You know, usually you talk about playing to your strengths, but I think the Roosters are so good that part of Parramatta's uh, allocation of resources here is going to be definitely uh, tied to locking down those edges, trying to compete in the middle. How much the Parramatta focus there? How much they focus on their own game plan? What we saw against the Brisbane Broncos, which in a way was actually quite similar to how our men play in the NRL, that blended the power through the middle getting, you know, fast and downhill down the edges. We saw Zawi Faye having a nice connection with the 5'8 for Ashley Quinlan. Yeah, like how do they approach this game? It's their first ever finals game, taking on the premiership favourite. What is their key to success?
1: You know what? I, I think with the with defence, you just have to uh, trust your structures, trust your communication. And Dean Witters has pretty much put out there the same team the last few weeks. So there's in the shortened season that is the NRLW, they're as deep into the season as you, as you're going to get to work out combinations. And again, as I said, there's he's put in a relatively unchanged lineup. So the the defensive structures communication, I, I think they just have to keep going with what they've been doing in the last few weeks. Not not worry too much about it. If they if they function, if they slide well, they're going to cover the the edges of the roosters. For mine, what we have to get right is the attack. I think we trust the defence, but we really need to get that attack right because we've seen so many times where we just can't quite unleash someone like Gail Broughton, and I think. She can be the difference maker in this match. She will provide the X factor. And if, if we can get her involved in a little bit more of the play than what we have, um, we, we've seen the forwards can match it with any of the packs that they've been up against. So we're looking for that edge out in the back line. And I think she's the, I think she's the difference maker.
0: And speaking of difference makers in the backline, mate, Tiana Panatani. We expecting her to play or no?
1: Gee, you know what? It's it's almost a similar sort of scenario to Tom Opacic in the NRL, isn't it? Because you've got a, a player that, if they're under they're under doubt, they're they're under that injury cloud, and yet they're they're being named. So what you're thinking is they're an outside chance of playing. Now, if they're an outside chance of playing, they're also a chance of, if they do take the field, uh, aggravating the injury Mm -hmm. and then coming off during the game, and then it leaves you worse off because it throws out your whole interchange plan. So the alternative to that, of course, is to not play her and to have the goal that she's going to be right for a potential grand final obviously the grand final appearance isn't guaranteed that's the risk that you have to take i'm i'm for putting the a fit player on the field in that position because again we're talking about the roosters strike centers yeah and although Penetani brings that experience and you'd love to have it out there you can't have a situation where the where either a she's um she's maybe hampered by an injury and can't defend as effectively or b that she goes off the field and then we're we're putting someone out there that um, isn't a natural centre and they're having to defend uh, out wide against a couple of the best centres in women's Rugby League.
0: So the obvious follow-up question there is, you put her on ice, hopefully making the grand final for the team winning on Sunday. Who replaces her in that game against the Roosters? Abbey Church, Tess Staines? Is there a left-field option?
1: Uh, look, I... I, I guess it's probably going to have to be Abby Church. I think the fact that she's named at 18 says that uh, she comes in to do the job. She was named at the start of the year. And Dean Witters then had that little uh, bit of a positional change where he brought Rikia Horn from the wing into the centres. And Rikia's done an outstanding job uh, both on both sides of the of the game in both attack and defence in that shift to the centres. In fact, I like her being closer to the ball. I think she's a better centre than she is as a winger. Yeah. So uh, that that was that was a really good move. Um, but Abby Church was selected as a, a centre. She was, at the start of the year, she was the one that they were they were going with, that they were putting their faith in. Uh, I, I think you have to put the faith that she will get the job done at centre if... Uh, Tiana Penitani is, is not selected.
0: Like I said, in the lead-up to the uh, preview here, 60s, Eels will be ranked outside in this game, but I dare say that both you and I are going to back them to get this win because, of course, you've got it when it's a sudden F, you know, ticket to the grand final on the line. How do the Eels win this one yeah, in terms I, of the scoreline? Who's the star?
1: Okay, look, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game because I don't think you can shut down what the Roosters have in their team. And and the threats that they provide, they've they've gone through undefeated for a reason. So, I think I think it's going to be a scoreline something like about thirty-four to thirty. And uh, I'll I'll back the Eels to to get that in. If but it, again, it all comes back to our attack because as I said, I think defensively. Uh, we have to just roll with our systems. We know that the Roosters are going to score points, as I said. So uh, if if we can get our attack to work, that's how I see it playing out, a 34-30 result. If the attack can't quite get into rhythm, uh, that's where we will have a problem because I think you're going to have to score up around that 30 to 34 points to beat the Roosters.
0: Yeah, solid insight there, mate. I'll be slightly more circumspect with a... Very uh, defensively orientated score, and if twenty eight twenty six in Paramount's favour, but like you, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big difference, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it this game does like the Roosters are des- deserved favourites. Like you said, if Parameter win this game, they've got to go blow for blow, try for try, and obviously it doesn't have to be necessarily you know uh, alternating tries there, but they've got to be able to score in bursts, in spurts and keep that scoreline ticking over because the Roosters get a lead of some margin, you can see them going for the jugular and trying to close out the game. Um, In terms of the star players, you already mentioned Gail Broughton. Obviously, she's going to be important. We need Ashley Quinlan to back up her outstanding performance against the Brisbane Broncos. And then after that, much like the the men in the NRL 60s, it's just across the team. The forwards need to do their job, backs, maximise their opportunities, and cut down on the silly errors and the penalties because they're going to be the backbreakers.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um... Uh mate, what's your you you you're going for that twenty uh twenty eight, twenty six thirty-four thirty. 40, 30. Mm-hmm. And uh and who do they play in the grand final?
0: Oh, that's a that's a tough one. It's hard to go past Newcastle. I think just the the core players they got from Brisbane and Tamika Upton and Millie Boyle have just added so much to that team that already had a few pieces, you know, floating around. And um they they've sort of the after the Roosters have been the team that's probably harnessed momentum the best.
1: Uh, mate, I, I like the Newcastle team. I, I I did so at the start of the year. I said they they could well be the team that uh, goes through and wins the title. But you know, I've got a sneaking feeling that the Dragons are going to get that job done. I
0: just they've got the experience yeah, just, in the finals, yeah. and they're
1: yeah, you know. I, yeah. I think I I, I think they're. They're going to go for back-to-back in finals, so um they were the yeah, bridesmaids. It'd be, nice, interesting nice to be out, out.
0: So that fire is going to be burning. So yeah, it's not a bad tip. But yes, this one three fifty PM kickoff. Let's back our girls in, and uh, you know, hopefully get the big double. Which speaking of, takes us to the NRL game, which kicks off tomorrow night, Friday seven fifty PM, Queensland Country Bank Stadium, Townsville, three v four Cowboys versus Eels. Cowboys line up like this 60s with Scott Drinkwater at fullback, Kyle Felt and Murray Talangi on the wings, Valentine Holmes and Peter Hiku in the centers, Tom Dearden and Captain Chad Townsend are the halves pairing. In the front row, it's Jordan McQuain, Ruben Cotter, and Reese Robson at dummy half. And looking to the back row, we've got Tom Gilbert, Young Gun, Jeremiah Nanai, and then Jason Tamalolo, the machine himself. On the bench, Hamizo Tabuai Fado is the utility back, Luciano Lelua at back row alongside Cohen Hess, who is their middle. Griffin Name, we haven't seen much of him 60s, but he's the final man on the interchange. Extend the roster, Jermaine, tanoa Brown, Tom Chester, Jake Granville, Brendan Elliott, and Ben Hampton for the Eels. An unchanged team on paper, but we could potentially be looking at at least one change with Tom Oppich under an uh, injury cloud there. But at fullback, co captain Quinton Gufferson, Mike Casivo, Wonga Blake on the wings. Right now it's Will Penaseni and Tom Oppucic in the centres. On the uh, <clears throat> halves pairing, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, as always no changes there. Likewise, in the front row, Reagan campbell Guard, Junior Barlow, Reed Marney. That's the uh, first choice, 8, 9, and 10 right there. Likewise, first choice, 11, 12, 13. Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali, Ryan Madison. Although we do expect Matt to swap places with Nia Corre, if he isn't in the centres. So there's a few moving pieces there. Speaking of Nia Corre, he's on the bench. With Bryce Cartwright making a triumphant return the first grade, where he partners Jake Arthur and Oregon Kalfusi. So got the uh, the one change there, which was a uh, I mean it's a lie there with an unchanged lineup. So Bryce Cartwright does come in for Macessy Makatoa who was eighteenth man, Bowie Simonson, Nathan Brown, Officer Ogden and Kai Robwell are the reserves. Yeah, the I mean Bryce Cartwright coming in. We spoke about him with Spiro sixties, we like the move, hopefully brings good energy off the bench. Big question mark though is whether Tom Opacich plays. If he doesn't, does Murata Nia move to the centres like Bernie sort sort of said he should. And take on that hybrid role, or is it something a little bit more straightforward in terms of keeping Murata in the middle and then going to someone like Bowie Simonson?
1: Mate, we spoke about it yesterday in the podcast with Spiro. Ba just has a history of not making multiple changes when he's just got one position to fill, and what I mean by that is he's, he doesn't like to move someone out of a role that they've been functioning really well in. And the phrase you used was, he doesn't uh, weaken a strength to strengthen a weakness. So I think they'd be more likely to have a a, a like-for-like scenario that he will bring in a back to fill the back's position. And uh, you've you've got uh, Bailey Simonson has been listed as 18th man. He's been playing in the centres in... Uh, new South Wales Cup in the final games of the year. I'm thinking it's probably going to be more like likely to that. But then again, BA, uh, a lot of the media has been talking about uh, New core going in there. Bernie liked that. Um, you even had BA mentioning it at, at the press conference. So uh, maybe I'm wrong in, in looking at BA's history with how he, how he makes changes and and covers for injury. So yeah, um, and, and and I guess Murata's been in that spot before, where he's slotted him in at centre when uh, we had uh, injury. So who knows, mate? Who knows? But I, oh, I, you know, I think as we've talked about, he, even in this podcast with Bernie, that role that has played in the last few weeks, he's hit some of the best form. Uh, well, well, he's back to his best. And he's back to his best through the middle, isn't he? I know he scored some tries out wide when he was shifted there because of Opacic's injury during the game, and that's probably the beauty of Murata is that if an injury occurs during the game, he has that capacity to to be moved out there, or or if um the, if they bring in someone different into the centers, if it's if it doesn't if it's not working, there's that option of shifting Murata there during the game. But mm-hmm. um, he's really created an impact starting the game and coming through the middle and being that third big charging body through the middle at the start of games. Yeah,
0: I mean, he really is the the capstone of it, but he's part of a cadre of players that have had, I suppose, in different form through stretches of the first sort of two thirds of the season, but have really dialed it in when it counts. And, you know, I, I sort of include Reed Marnie, Clinton Gufferson, a couple other boys among that. Along that lot. And I think probably saying Guffo in there seems a bit harsh, but I think that he's definitely had his best football in the final third of the year where he's really locked in. And it's no coincidence then that the Eels have played their best football in this stretch now, which has helped us get past that hump that was week two of the finals.
1: Yeah, really, Gutho's involvement, I mean, he's, regardless of the game, his involvement is high, but it's where it happens. And I like his involvement to be. Primarily around the middle of the field, and and creating the havoc there it doesn't mean that he can't pop out wide, which he which he still does. But if he makes his main presence in in that um, support role through through whatever the forwards are generating, through jumping into dummy half, just being busy, just being around where the ball is, that's that's Gutho being the king. If he's just being there all the time for. Um, for block play after block play, that's that's not good for Parramatta and it's not good for him. Yep. So, yeah, we like, we like to see that it's almost like he plays at his best when it's an improv role, isn't it? Like when he's improvising what's going on there. When he's playing, what you know, that, that um, inverted commas, uh, heads up football or mm-hmm. eyes, eyes up football, whatever that you want to call it. So uh, playing what's in front of him, all, all those clichés. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's that's really what we want to see from him. Absolutely. That, you know, that spur of the moment sort of stuff.
0: And, of course, these two teams met just the sole time in the 2022 season, way back in round eight with a whole raft of mitigating circumstances to Parramatta Reals. The Cowboys did. Do we, we want to talk about that? Do we really want to talk well, about it? I know the, it's the only reason relevant. The, the only reason I did want to talk about it was because of its lack of relevance, which is just fascinating. You don't often get the, the revenge matchup where the first game – was so irrelevant to this current game, even though there are some similarities in terms of the tropics spin in play. But in this early engagement, it was 35-4 to the Cowboys in a team that had uh, Dylan Brown in the centres and Hayes Perrim on the wing amidst at, at the deepest point of our backline crisis. And then it was also revealed that the team had sort of been dealing with a, a flu or a bug that week. So this was when the Cowboys really announced themselves as not just a flash in the pan, but for the Eels. It, it's such a bizarre game to look go back and look at because in the darwinian conditions with you know uh, an absolutely jerry rigged backline out of whatever you know scraps we had left on the heap you know players playing out of position we didn't play good football that that surely doesn't even become a factor for the players when it comes to approaching this game does it 60s
1: yeah i mean that that was relevant to remind us of what was happened uh with the eels backline at that stage yes. of the season because yeah it was that was really when we're at the stage of looking at bringing in, uh, you know, do we bring in a recruit? Do we do we fill a roster spot I mean,
0: we'll, we'll with link a
1: backline player?
0: We'll link to several players, uh, Jermaine Asako, and then you know, the one on the Gold Coast. Uh, goodness. I think he's going to the SL now. He plays centres. Uh, was that the Cowboys as well before that? I'm having an absolute brain fade here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, we were looking at how how do we fill these Masters, positions East because there, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 there we go, East End Masters. Yeah, but the, because the injury crisis was extending into into um, the New South Wales Cup team yes. as well, so the options the options simply weren't there. There were there were injuries through the grades, and uh, Parramatta were were really struggling to field the team. So much so that again, uh. BA had to do what we say he doesn't like to do, which was he was he was looking to uh, weaken a strength to strengthen a weakness. He had to move Dylan Brown out to the centres,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, there was just there was just no way around that. So, um, yeah. So again, as you said, uh, different set of circumstances around that game, and once you have one team dominant in those hot and humid conditions. It's not going to pan out well for the other team, it just isn't. And and Parramatta weren't on their game that night. The the play was all flowing for the Cowboys, and in the end, they made it an ugly score line for for Parramatta. And uh, we're looking at going into the uh, the game this week, where really the only disruption is around Tom Opacic. Mm. And uh, if we can, if we can. Satisfactorily overcome that, then I'd like to think that we're we're well on the way to uh, a victory. I'm looking at the two teams, and I really believe that the Eels have the advantage in the halves. I think we've got um, a couple of set, a couple of packs there where I actually think we've still got a bit of an edge in the packs, and and, and I'm looking and I think. You know, for everything that the the that the Cowboys have got, I think we've got an edge in the back line as well. I think on paper, the the Eels have uh, an edge over the Cowboys. Um, yeah, even, I mean,
0: of course, looking... and, and
1: look It could be argued that the that the the Cowboys have an edge on the bench, but even then, if you look at the Hammer and uh, Neem in their last game, they barely used them. So you're you really, and if, and if you say, well, the Eels have only been using 15 players and you're basically lining up Leilua and Hess
0: up against, up against and on, Madison Nikura
1: and Kafusi and, yeah. and, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and then, or it might be up against uh, Madison and Kafusi mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking about who, who will get the most minutes. So um, have they, have they got that much of it? Have they got a real edge there? I, I would argue that they haven't. So, but it, I mean, obviously, games aren't played out on paper, but it it becomes one of these matches where you have to say that, do we look back and go, it was advantageous for the Eels to finish fourth in the finals, uh, coming into the finals, be beaten by Penrith, and then have a path that we're on now where on paper, because on paper we had an edge uh, a bit of an edge over the Raiders. Uh, on paper, we've got an edge, I believe we've got an edge on the on the Cowboys, in spite of the fact, well what did they finish two points ahead of us on the table? Right, yeah. Something like that. So, you know, maybe you know, maybe they didn't have such a significantly better season than the Eels. And I and as I said, I think we've got a bit of an edge on paper. Um and if we can make that translate to what happens out on the field and we do that by, again, it's quite simple. We just go back to Parramatta footy as we discussed with Bernie. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, win, that, win, that, win the early collisions, have a good kicking game, which includes the kick chase, put pressure on their kickers. And I and I don't think that their kickers pose a threat, you know, not like some other teams have yeah, kickers. Yeah, it's, t- it's a tight kick where game. They, themselves, they're good game managers. Their halves are very good game managers. And don't get me wrong, it obviously Todd Payton wanted good game managers in his halves to get the best out of his team. And uh, it's worked. You can't, mm. you can't deny that the, the team that's finished ahead of us on the ladder has had a successful season where what he's looked at employing, and and Bernie talked about them getting to uh, spreading the ball two thirds of the way across the field, then spreading it back open. So, in other ter- in other words, there's like there's a term that uh, for positions on the field where coaches like to get to, they either call them the 64 or the 73 sort of position, and that that relates to how many defenders are in the... Uh, the sport, are, are, yeah. uh ...that they're facing. Are they... Is they? Have they got six and four on either side of the ruck with the 64? Have they got seven and three on either side of the 73 uh, when they're calling a 73 for either side of the ruck? Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that the Cowboys like to get to a 73 and... Uh, or 70-30, 73, whatever you want to call it, um, and an attack from that wider point And... Uh, I think someone has uh, related it as well that we've spoken to for how Tim Sheens would use wide spreads of the ball for the Tigers' attack back in two thousand and five. Todd Payton obviously being so, a
0: student of Tim Sheens, you can see the connection. Yes.
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, we're looking at um, at uh, you know that's that sort of wide based attack, and their halves suit that. Um, we've got halves who. Uh, on top of structure, can play that very improvised football, and and play what's in front of them. Uh, they've probably got the they've got a faster running game. Both Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses. I really think it it comes down to as I said, if the Eels play Para one hundred and one footy that I talked about before, then I think we've got the players in our team that can find the edge playing off the back of that. And and that includes our halves um, primarily uh, setting it up for the rest of the back line. And I think that's what it boils um, down to,
0: mate, is that we spoke with Bernie. There's obviously stuff that you have to respect from the Cowboys. They've got Scott Drinkwater, a player that's really emerged into the spotlight this year. They've got talent in the back line that can finish opportunities. They've got a a halves pairing, with Tom did, and they can show and go. And in the forwards, you've got, you know, a, a young Tyro that's a danger with the kick in Jeremiah Nanai. You've got an absolute beast in Tamaloa. There is obviously good players across the parking for the Cowboys. You don't finish top four otherwise. But for the Parramatta Eels, the missive, the mission statement, like it has been for so much of this season, is go out there and do your job. You take care of your own business, and so much else figures itself out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, time to make the call, mate. Yes. That's, we've, uh, done, we've done plenty uh, of talking. Put the cards down uh, Both the table, with Bernie man. and now. So uh I obviously I'm going to tip the eels. Obviously. Uh, l- last week it was interesting we were we we were talking again um over in the club before we went to the ground and uh I, I was saying to you then uh wouldn't it be good to be sitting back and you know you've got a a 36-0 <laughs> yeah, score we were talking on it. about like point.
0: how nice it would be to have a stress-free final for once. You know, not having yeah. a team storming back into the contest or yeah. making us chase, you know, 8 points or 10 points with our 10 minutes to go. And, you know, we got what we asked for for once, which was beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, we almost got what we were after because, uh, you know, that that horrid, horrid call to disallow a try, which would have taken us to 28-0. I have no doubt we probably would have been going towards 36 or 40-0 at half time if that hadn't been pulled back last week. So do I dare to dream... That we can win another finals game convincingly, um, you know what? I do. I'm I'm going to take the Eels to win this by 32 to
0: 12. Wow, I actually already made a prediction earlier this week with the other boys on the Parrot podcast, and you almost you were within two points on either side of my prediction. There, I went 34 14 with the same the same sort of view. Like. If we're going to go up there and win, I think we win solidly. I mean, obviously you can't rule out a close game. And if it is a close game, you've got someone like Valentine Holmes who's going to be an absolute menace of his ability to slot field goals. But if the Eels play to their strengths, I can see it being a very solid victory. So I went 34-14. And I looked at one of the two bookends as an opening try scorer, Smokey, because the Cowboys looked a little bit vulnerable through the middle in that game against Cronulla. I think Toby Rudolph was the man that stormed over from about 10, 11 metres out. And I think that if uh, Reid is on on point, and Junior or Reg are fired up, there could be some opportunities early in the game to exploit.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm not thinking too differently to you, just a tiny bit wider. I was trying to decide between uh, Laney and Ice, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go for Ice as uh, first try scorer and, then, and uh, best on field.
0: Okay, there's a lot of options here, uh, mate. You can go for one of the the obvious options in the spine, but. You know, it's a grand final qualifier. You've got 17 players. That could be the difference maker here.
1: Yeah. uh, I think I've already signalled where I'm going. Uh, Mitch Moses.
0: Mitch Moses. Yeah, I I think when all is said and done, it'll boil down to Mitch and Dylan. And, you know, there's a ton of other, even primary considerations there, but secondary and tertiary playmakers when it comes to that. You mentioned the starting front rowers, starting back rowers, even on the bench. You know Whether it's Madison or Morata coming off there, they're going to be absolutely critical to this game. But Bernie said it, and, and you know the conversation has been so driven about how Paramaturals, the Parramatta have not got a superstar or a game-breaker. Uh, Mitchell Moses is, is very much slept on for his ability to take control of these big games, and has been for about, I want to say, 24 months now. Uh, this is a chance for him to make, an, I'm not going to say a statement game, to make another statement game because I feel like that's all he's been doing for a while now is making these statement games and, uh, yeah, and really put himself into the conversation as a top two NRL playmaker.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like it, mate. I like it.
0: Ooh, so, yeah, like we said at the start of the show, at the top of the show, 60s, one more sleep. It's uh, not quite Christmas coming early but given that there's a lot more nerves <laughs> involved than uh, the 25th of December, but... Wow, it, it, it does feel very good to still be alive at this time of the year, knowing that there is just 80 minutes between you, your team, and a grand final berth. It, it is the most meaningful football we've played in 13 years since 2009. It's the culmination of... I mean, Brad's been tenured now eight or nine years, but you, you go back to that 2016 fallout and, and then everything that he had to rebuild after rebuilding the first time. So you're talking about you know six or seven years of extra blood, sweat, and, and tears... This is where they're at now. This is there is a sense of finality for some players to part in the club. There is a sense of hope across the entire team. They know how good they are. They know they can beat Penrith. They know that you know in a, in a big dance that they can get the the grill off their back in terms of the week to to week free hump, which means they can beat South Sydney in the grand final. They've got to take care of business against the North Queensland Cowboys. Go out there and play eighty minutes plus if required of Parramatta football. Dominate and sit back, have eight or nine days to turn it around against the Panthers or the Rabbitohs. It is a massive, massive game tomorrow. We're going to be live from Paral Leagues, live from Jack's Bar and Grill. So if you have a chance to get out there and say hello, come do that. Otherwise, whether you're watching at home, watching in the Parramatta Green downstairs, watching with your mates, your friends, your family, enjoy the football for what it is. Enjoy the golden era that we're in right now, ladies and gents, because this is... I'm not going to say it's as good as it gets, because obviously winning the premiership is the the be-all, end-all for so many people, understandably. But we are in a golden era of paramount football. You know, we're, we're finishing top four year after year. We're a contender year after year. We are, without the, the recruitment power of the Sydney Roosters, unearthing gem after gem and turning them into better players. This is a golden era. So on that note, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for giving us a listen. It means a ton to me in the 60s that you guys would take your time out of your day to listen to us rattle and prattle on. But uh, until the next episode, until that instant reaction against the Cowboys, stay safe. We'll catch you guys in the next episode.
2: Go your wheels.